Welcome into District One Sports. Mike and Micah back with you for another episode. Micah, the Wizards did fall, unfortunately, in their first game against Philadelphia 76ers. It was a back and forth game. The Wizards did have leads going into halftime. And at no point did you ever think the Wizards were truly out of the game. Micah, I want to start first with your thoughts on this game. What do you think the Wizards did well? What do you think the Wizards need to work on as they lose 125 to 118 to the Philadelphia 76ers? I think for game one, this is what I would have, you know, the type of performance I would have liked to see out the Wizards, except for maybe a few isolated moments of just the simple things that the Wizards have always kind of failed on this year, whether that be out of control offense led by Russ, bad shots, um, untimely shots, not capitalizing. On certain situations, whether that be transition defense, whatever the case may be, there were certain things that the Wizards had been plagued by, but the competitiveness is exactly what I wanted to see. Um, And the only result that I wish changed really in this game was the W. Uh, I did think they were going to win game one, and I I did think they were going to win game one by playing a game um, like they did. The few issues that kind of brought the Wizards to loss are the things that I think was going to lose in the series, and I think we're kind of already seeing that play out. But I do think that overall, I'm not necessarily mad at what happened in this game. And I did mention the things that we've already kind of mentioned over and over with this team that sometimes they get a little bit out of sorts. Sometimes the shots just aren't hitting when they need to. Sometimes the defense isn't as focused as it should be or really focused at all. And these things are coming to plague them once again. Um, I think one of the biggest differences that we can see from a player perspective is Davis Breton showed up. And that right there, you can't ask for anything else. Him going 5 for 10, 4 from 8 from 3, making 14 points, contributing 5 rebounds, a block. That's what we've been needing for Davos Bertans the whole time. Now, does it suck when Davos Bertans shows up and everything else isn't necessarily going right to get a W? Yes, but if you're looking at just pure stats and what this team you know, put on paper, 55%, um, 55% from the field, 40% from 3, and 80% from the free throw line. Those are the numbers I mentioned that scared me when we were playing the Pacers because they had a game like that against the Charlotte Hornets in the play-in. So from a, I guess, a you know, a stats and kind of making shots in the offense person, uh, you know, I guess side of it, yes, I, I was really okay with what I saw. But it's a little bit in pieces here that they're just missing on the court. And it kind of just, it's kind of forcing me already to feel like this Wizards series is doomed before it started. Um, you mentioned that it could possibly be a gentleman sweep at this point, and that, that could happen, not because the Wizards aren't going to be competitive, but just because they are going to keep getting in their own way. And that's really what I'm seeing, and that's really what I'm feeling now. So, yes, I was happy and okay. I wouldn't say happy. I was okay with what they did in Game 1, but going for the rest of the series, I would kind of expect the same. The games to be relatively competitive, but them to lose it. If they do get a game out of it now, Okay, that's fine. I still do, uh, still will hold, you know, true that I think that the Wizards will get probably a stealing game in there. They probably steal a game, but the rest of the series, I just don't see us finding a way to necessarily win a lot of these games. Um, and B did whatever he wanted. Tobias Harris put up a great game at thirty-seven points. Ben Simmons kind of controlled his way, even though he didn't score a lot. He found other ways to produce, and these are all the things that we mentioned. Seth Curry. Even though he was a little bit sporadic at times, he showed up with shots when he needed to. And the Sixers played the kind of game that is going to be tight and lends them to close victories in the playoffs. And I think that with this kind of mindset with the Sixers going, I don't think the Wizards can necessarily do anything to out 
win that and gritty type of situation. I really like this series because going into it, I understood the idea that the Sixers were a very complete team, that they didn't have many holes as a team. When you need shooting, you can get that from Seth Curry. When you need somebody to dominate, you can get that from Embiid. When you need defense, you get that from Ben Simmons and Thibault. And we saw almost all aspects of that in game one, which was really important because it shows where the Wizards are on par with the best team in the Eastern Conference, but also where they're severely lacking against the best team in the Eastern Conference. For example, when Tobias Harris goes off for essentially, what, 28 points in the first half, it shows what you're lacking, that you need somebody like Tobias Harris on your own team who is going to be able to slow down a three hybrid four type of player. Rui is good, but I don't think he's an elite defender by any means. I don't think he's a great defender right now. I think he's a decent defender. But Rui can't be the only one that's out there in a three-guard lineup and expect him to shut down Tobias Harris and expect him to be the one to double on Embiid. So it showed that, okay, we have the ability to keep up with them scoring-wise where Brad went off in the third quarter. And like you said, Breton's had a good game. Moments where they seriously lack the ability to just stop the team from scoring. Now, with Russ, I don't know what happens here, and it's similar to the Celtics game where he comes out in the bigger games and he's just erratic. He throws everything off. There's no rhythm in the offense. It doesn't flow, and it seems to be a problem. If we go back to that game, the first couple of minutes were all over the place, and the minute that Ish Smith came in, he kind of settled the team down, which is weird to say because he is a backup point guard, and He's not supposed to be the one that's really running things, but he kind of got the Wizards going where they were able to start working in transition and get that lead and they were pushing the ball and Bertans was getting open shots. So I would love to see Russ, the way Ish is able to generate offense the minute he comes off the bench, Russ do something similar, but starting off the game. This Sixers series, the game went exactly as I thought. Once Embiid wanted to shut everything down, even in the fourth quarter, you cut it down to six. And Beat says, okay, don't worry, guys. I'll put this game on my back. Boom. They give him the ball. It's a fadeaway jumper. And he made like three or four in a row. And you're like, the game is over. I personally, again, I'm not getting upset over these games. We could tell in the tone, obviously, when we lost to the Celtics in the play-in. I felt completely different than I do against the 76ers, who had the best record in the Eastern Conference again. This is a 1-8 matchup. Nobody has the 8 seed winning. I, I don't think anybody picked the Wizards to win. So this series is not for advancing to the next round. This series is for seeing where we stack up against the top of the top of the Eastern Conference. And from what I saw, when everybody's healthy, and we saw this throughout the last two months of the regular season, when everybody's healthy and everything is clicking for the Wizards, you can see that there are things where you're like, okay, we can keep up with the best of teams. But when it comes to stopping these teams and getting to a place where you can stop them and still keep scoring, they are severely lacking. It'll lead to a bigger conversation in the offseason about acquiring a 3 and D type of guy that can help fill that role. Is that going to be Denny? I don't know yet. Would Denny have helped in this series? Of course, because instead of you having Neto, Beal, and Russ start, you have Beal, Russ, Denny, and Rui, which are a lot easier for switches and just things of that nature. So I was impressed. The Bigs had an incredible game. Alex Len kept them in it in the beginning. Uh, they went 30 and 11 rebounds combined for all three. So 
you can't expect more from your bigs. It's just unfortunate that you played a semi-perfect game offensively, but just lacked a little bit on defense, and that's why the Sixers are a one seed and you are an eight seed. That's exactly, you know, that last point especially is not just why the Sixers are a one seed and win an eight seed, but it's why the Wizards have you know run into the a lot of the same issues this year. There's a lot of themes and motifs, a lot of repeating and recurring things happening. And that's how the NBA seasons are, usually with teams that are inconsistent. You're going to see the great of them, and well, you're going to see the great of them, the bad of them, and then you're going to see the non-extreme. And you're really going to see what this team is. And right now, we're really seeing what the Wizards are. It's indicative. It's been going really since the bubble and up until now. This Wizards team is going to compete. They're going to compete great. They're going to be able to score with any team in this league. It doesn't matter if there's... Well, Maybe besides, like, you know, one or two that could possibly outscore them. But even then, on the stat sheet, the Wizards score at a great pace, and they do. But there's always a lack of, excuse me, a lack of emphasis on defense. That's kind of always biting them when they need it the most. And maybe it's a coaching philosophy thing. Maybe it's a Scott Brooks thing. Because there's a little bit of lack of order kind of just all around. And it's not a bad thing when you have guys like Russ and Beal kind of leading the team because they're great leaders. But when there's a lack of defense and there's nobody really being held accountable on that end, you can see why great offense is not turning into great defense. Great offense is just turning into subpar defense. I do think that it maybe is a top-down thing with this approach, and they, they do have to put more of an emphasis on defense and proper switches and whatnot, things we've all talked about. But when the theme keeps popping up and you don't question it, you don't make any changes, this is what you expect. A team that is extremely talented and could possibly be a top five seed in the East drops to the AFC because of a lot of things. And even in this AFC, they're still inconsistent and they're not necessarily showing you the best parts of them. But, and you mentioned it, for for all you know, practical reasons and whatever that this season is going to end after this series, you have to really like what the Wizards are doing just because they're showing that they can compete, like you said. And I do think that alone is a win and a nice thing to see out of this series, if anything else. So you're going to see them compete and give a little something for the future. I definitely agree with you there, where it's what you want to stack up and see, because obviously the plan is very clear now. To begin the season, we didn't understand what the plan was for this team. Is it, are we tanking? Are we moving Beal? What are we trying to do with Russ? It's clear now that this team wants to go forward with Brad and Russ as your top two guys and see how far this tandem can go. So seeing this series against a team that you would potentially see in an Easter Conference Finals if you were a lot better, it lets you know what you do, what you need and what you need to improve on. So not looking at the bigger picture, Micah, and, and free agency and past this season, I want to touch on game two itself. What do you think the Wizards need to improve in game two, whether it's playing different players or doing something differently to allow them to be able to win a game in Philadelphia and maybe bring the series 1-1 back to D.C. Yeah, so I do think that, first and foremost, there has to be an emphasis on proper defense but also team defense, and it has to be a, a two-fold thing. There has to be accountability on individuals and then accountability as the five, as the whole. Because a lot of the times, the Wizards get in situations where their bad personal defense, for whatever reason, ends up turning into terrible five-man defense. It, it, you know, There's a lot of ways that we can say and can't say 
by just Mike's, but just look at the Wizards play, and there's a little bit of dysfunction out there on the defensive side. And what that does for the Wizards, it really wastes possessions. I mean, we can talk about bad shots by Russ. We can talk about missing shots, but bad defense is really wasting these possessions because this bad defense is putting them really in just terrible, terrible situations to go score now because now you're, let's say it's a a one-possession game and you just give up a terrible look and now it's a two-possession game and now they're going down the court and now they're forcing a shot. Or let's say the stakes are even higher. It turns into a two-possession to a three-possession or whatever the case may be. You're putting them back in situations where now Russ feels like he has to go force, where certain things aren't you know, going away, and the flow of the game is now messed up on the defensive and the offensive side. So, yes, I, I do want to see better team defense from the Wizards, but I also just want to see better and smarter playing just in general on the court. I'm happy that they stayed in this game off pure competitive spirit, but Stealing a game against the Sixers and stealing a game against any one seed, it has to be an emphasis on X and O's. So once again, I love the pace for the Wizards and I love what they do, but I do want to see them try some half-court sets while we're just doing things because, like we mentioned, I don't think they, in a realistic way, see them getting this series in the next round. So let's try some things. And it's not an experiment type of thing. It's not like abandon the game plan, but I want to see certain guys playing. I want to see Isak Bonga out there. Putting pressure on guys like Tobias Harris. Uh, I don't know if I want to see <laughs> <laughs> Okay, maybe not Isak Bonga. Maybe that wasn't necessarily the best thing. But I do want to see certain lineups out there. I want to see maybe a, a taller defensive lineup out there at times. I want to see certain matchups out there. I want to see we're more Rui on the perimeter just because. But all in all, I do want to just keep seeing these guys play hard. And I do think that's the key to a game two, a game three, stealing a game in the series, which I keep mentioning. That when the X's and O's come in for the Wizards and they're playing hard, this is why they go on 18 and 7 runs. So I'm not going to say anything concrete that needs to happen because I feel like it's more so them just capitalizing on the mistakes that they've been needing to capitalize on. But a more focused and concerted effort to to try to go get the win and not try to drag it out and not let terrible things happen in the game. I think that's really the key for them. And going forward, if they can share up those mistakes in the long haul for a season, I think they could be, uh, once again, a top four to five seed in the East. So that's what I want to see. Just more concerted effort. Keep the energy high. Keep doing what you're doing. But just play cleaner basketball. And I do think they'll get a win or maybe even two in this series if they do that. For me, it comes down to matching size because it was clear that the Sixers were bigger and they were able to make a couple of switches that just made it impossible for the Wizards to even have a chance defensively. A couple of things that I would like to see change would be one, getting Chandler Hutchinson to play more. And as bad as he is on offense for the Wizards, he doesn't finish around the rim well. He's not a great three-point shooter. I think his size just helps disrupt things a little bit more, where if you do have Russ Beal, Hutchinson, uh, Hachimura, and Len Gafford or Lopez, you're able to switch more where you do have Tobias Harris uh, switch uh, with Ben Simmons, and then you can go uh, Hachimura. Um, Hutchinson back to back on that versus having like, let's say Ish Smith or Neto and having the switch. And then you have Tobias Harris on Neto that just didn't work in the first game. So just adding more length on the court and with Embiid, Hatchamore said it in his post game press conference, um, practice, uh, post game practice press conference yesterday that their double teams need to be less lazy. So if you're going to go off of Ben Simmons to double and beat every time he touches the ball, then it needs to be a hard double where 
you're in his grill, you're making it difficult for him. There was a lot of times, and this is the most like frustrating thing about the Wizards defense, is they give up a lot of N ones. Their fouls are ticky tack. They're never hard fouls that are not gonna allow Embiid to get a shot off. So he was able to get double teamed, be barely touched, and then put up an easy layup to go to the line for a three point play. So if they're going to be leaking off of Ben Simmons or Thibault, then you're going to have to attack and beat and actually double team him in a space where it is really hard to, um, when it makes it really hard for him to either pass out of that, or if he is fouled, he's not putting up a three-point play. So just a couple of things on the defensive end. And then the offensive end, the ISO ball that this team plays is not a fun offense to watch. When you just compare and contrast Philly's offense to the Wizards, they were able to move the ball around and give their guys open shots. A lot of Bertanz's looks, two of them were open threes, but a lot of them were just off screens then put them up. You would see sometimes Russ and Beal drive into the lane and a lot of kickout options available where you have uh, Bertanz in the corner, Rui up uh, at the top of the key. Maybe if Russ is driving, Brad open at the three-point line and he just wouldn't pass it out. So just more ball movement on offense just to not make your offense so predictable where the Sixers were just sitting back and waiting for somebody to drive into the lane towards the end of the game and then they would swat it they would uh, misdirect the shot because you're not getting calls in the playoffs that you would have gotten in the regular season so just little things like that I feel like can go a long way in trying to change how this team plays against Philadelphia um, in game two and beyond and this is where Scott Brooks is going to fight for his coaching job because if he does make these adjustments He's going to be back next season, but if it's clear that they're still going to be lacking in all these areas and they still end up losing this series, and even if it's somewhat competitive, they don't get to a level where you're like, oh, the Wizards next year could be interesting. He's gone. So if he's able to make those adjustments, he's going to find himself with a job next season with the Wizards. If not, he's out. That's enough Wizards talk. Uh, we'll Again, we'll do another podcast on Friday where we do uh, review game two and we'll do the same thing preview game three uh, for the Wizards their first game back in DC as Capital One Arena was just announced at 50% so definitely should be a fun crowd and atmosphere for the Wizards but Micah I want to go around uh, the league similar like we did in last podcast just quick hitters on each and every series now that every team has played at least once so we touched on 1-8 Wizards Sixers let's go to 2-7 Brooklyn versus Boston yeah for game two I expect Pretty much the same thing from the Brooklyn Nets. Handle your food. Handle the series. You mentioned it. The Celtics, without all their guys, it's just like, yeah, even though Jason Tatum is going to do what he does, it's just they don't have enough firepower right now. Injuries suck, especially in the playoffs, but especially against a team like the Nets. So uh, the Nets take this next game, and they, of course, take the series. Nets are sweeping this series after watching game one. The Boston Celtics couldn't have played a better first half. The Nets weren't hitting... The Celtics were hitting their threes. Marcus Smart was on. Jason Tatum, he started off hot. He was really bad in the second half. Um, Kemba Walker got in foul trouble, but they did everything possible in that first half to limit the Nets, and then the Nets still came out in the third quarter and said, all right, let's start playing basketball, and it was not close from there. I think they get swept in this series. Moving on, 3-6, Bucks up 2-0. Game one was an overtime thriller. Uh, Bucks barely escaped, but then in game two, the Bucks completely destroy. The Miami Heat now 2-0 going to Miami. What's your thoughts? Um, yeah, I was wrong. My take was wrong. Um, this is bad for the Heat, and you're absolutely right. Something's wrong with Jimmy, and it's thrown off that entire team. For the performance they put on in Game 1, to put on this stinker of a performance in Game 2, 
that's how you know something is a little bit off because i mean shoot if you're playing the three c like this in game one then game two you should show up you shouldn't come out that flat and they came out worse than flat they came out like they didn't even want to play in a series anymore so um yeah bucks win this and we kind of know how this is going shout out to Giannis, uh handling your business being the guy you're supposed to be shout out to milton for doing what you need to do shout out to the bucks they're still the same team to me but maybe that'll get exposed a little bit in round two but uh yeah this one's a wrap already yeah with the bucks it's just more of i think drew holiday and middleton we saw it in game one they just closed where you didn't trust eric bledsoe to close last year you didn't trust him to have the ball in his hands and i think that's the major difference in this series you have drew holiday able to close you have pj tucker who's more of a defensive guy for you bobby portis is hitting Bryn forbes is hitting and like i said jimmy missing the last three games when you had an opportunity to face either the atlanta hawks or the new york knicks and then if you get to that fourth seed then you face the Philadelphia 76ers versus having to go through the Bucks, the Nets, the Sixers, and then whatever the NBA Finals was. That was a clear indication to me that Jimmy wasn't all right. And he, the first two games, he hasn't looked good. Bam has lost all confidence in his shot. It's kind of sad. Everything he's shooting is short. There's no confidence in it. And if you don't have Jimmy and Bam going, there's obviously no way um, you're able to win that series. Moving on to 4-5, probably the most fun game of that uh, opening playoff weekend. Hawks barely escape, and, but do beat uh, the New York Knicks on a buzzer beater or close to a buzzer beater by Trey Young. Thoughts on the first game of this series, and where do you think this is going? Yeah, I'm so glad that I kind of predicted this series to be the one that is like, you know, the uber competitive, probably the most competitive, because this 4-5 matchup is absolutely ridiculous. Shout out Trey Young for really in your first debut actually not really in your first debut showing up like you did being in the mat you know being in the garden handling your business in a game one it's just you don't that's that's storybook type of nba stuff you know the nba lore and all that crap but this series is going to go down to the wire. i still think it's going to game seven i would still say that the knicks should be able to pull this out and it really is just based off of i do just think that while they don't necessarily have the firepower that the hawks have and that would be the only thing I think that bites them. I do think that at times they could be a little bit more consistent all around. Not necessarily putting up as many points as the Hawks can, but playing just better and sound basketball. And I think that's a coaching thing down with Tom Thibodeau. So I do think that the Knicks pull this out in seven, but this is going to be a great series. It's a Star Wars, and I love it out there. Uh, once again, shout out to Trey Young. I love seeing young guys perform at the highest level. It's great. Great for the game, but uh, I do think the Knicks still take this to seven. And for game two, I think the Knicks get them back. The playoffs show what your team is lacking. And with the New York Knicks, it was very clear that they're lacking a starting caliber point guard. Alfred Payton was terrible. You can't play Derrick Rose 30-plus minutes anymore just because of his knees and how old he is. So in the offseason, getting Lonzo Ball will probably be the number one priority for the New York Knicks. But this is going to be a fun series. I think this goes seven. I don't care who wins game one. I just think it's going to be long. And if you're able to drop Trey Young, then that's when you have a real chance in the series. But if Trey Young is going to be able to get to any position on the floor that he wants, there's no need to even have a series here. Um, it was a fun game one, and I'm expecting MSG to be even louder uh, for game two uh, uh, with Trey Young after he silenced the crowd. So they're going to be rocking for game two. Moving over to the West, we have uh, 1-8. The Utah Jazz versus the Memphis Grizzlies. We all know how we feel about the Jazz on this podcast. Let's just let's just be honest. Frauds. Yeah, let's just be honest. I still got Ja pulling this out. Um, well, we said Steph Curry, and really it was whoever the AC was. We thought it was going to be Curry, but 
it could be John. It could be John's breakout performance in embarrassing the Jazz. The Jazz is just, you know, they're just not it to me. Shout out to Jordan Clarkson. I did mention him last time. I love what he's been doing this season. Great campaign. Deserve all the awards. But as a team, the Jazz just don't have it. And they, it's just how they're constructed. It is what it is. John Moran. If a guy like John Moran or a superstar talent can wipe out anything that your team does, just integrity-wise, then you guys are frauds. So shout out to John Moran. I think... Honestly, I think the Jazz get game two, but I still think Memphis or whoever the AC was going to be takes the series. The Donovan Mitchell stuff was very weird. Yeah, where it was. He was supposed to come and play the game, but then he's not playing the game. But then he wants to play, but the team was the one that held him out. And then he tweets out, I really wanted to be out there, but it was out of my control. Trade stuff right here. And then you have the room. Yeah, that you have the report that he's not happy with the Jazz. So there's just a lot of stuff going on with that organization. And I don't think. They're really ready for a playoff series when the Grizzlies have just currently they've been rising throughout the end of the season. You pick up a victory against the Spurs and emotional victory over Golden State. Then you get your first game against Utah Jazz. That's momentum to give them uh, a first round victory. I don't know if they still win the series if Donovan Mitchell does come back actually healthy. But if Donovan Mitchell is not his 100% self, we saw it. They weren't able to just keep up with them. They don't have enough pieces to keep up with the Grizzlies. So that's an interesting one to keep uh, watching. I I think I said that was the least, uh, the series that I was least interested in. If Donovan Mitchell is in 100%, I think that becomes one of the most interesting series to see if we do end up getting a 1-8 upset in the Western Conference. 2-7, and I'll go here first, Micah. The Suns versus the Lakers. Everybody calm down. I feel like we just do this song and dance every year with LeBron. And at some point, it's like, when when are we going to learn? Last year, I'm not going to lie, Michael, we were concerned when we saw the Lakers in the bubble. We were like those first couple of uh, exhibition games, or not exhibition, but seeding games. We were like, man, this team does not look right at all. The Clippers were looking amazing. Uh, the Blazers were hot. The Suns were hot. They were trying to get into the playoffs and everything. It was just like, the Lakers just don't look it. And then the Blazers make, um, the Blazers get into it on the play-in and win that game one. And everybody's like, uh-oh, what's going to happen with the Lakers here? They don't look like they have cohesion. They don't look like they're ready to go. And then what did the Lakers do? They won the next four straight. And then after that, it was like, ooh, the Rockets just outlasted uh, Oklahoma City Thunder team. And we don't know what this means. We don't know where this is going. And then, boom, they win game one. What are the Lakers going to do? And then they won four straight. And then it was the same thing with the Nuggets. They didn't win game one, but the Nuggets were able to tie it. And they almost won another game when AD hit a game winner. But it was like, oh, do we know what's going to – the Lakers finish off this series. And then with the Miami Heat, it was never really a contest. So we saw and had the same conversations with the Lakers last year. I am not going to panic until – yeah, if they even if they go down 0-2, as long as they win both games at home, I'm still going to believe in LeBron, so – I'm not panicking at all for this 2-7 series between the Suns and the Lakers. I'm not panicking at all at all either, first and foremost. And really, you can almost stop the conversation right here. LeBron has never lost a first-round series. And, yes, the Suns team is great. And they're doing a lot of great things this year. And this game won from really their first time really on this stage in this way. Oh, also, Chris Paul, he may be 70% of himself now. It's Yeah, and that's another point. There was a lot of... Interesting things that happened in this game as far as guys taking hits, guys falling on the ground, guys just getting nicked up and hurt. Chris Paul, there's something to say about Chris Paul being hurt, and we've seen what happens when Chris Paul isn't fully immersed physically. 
which has happened a lot, unfortunately, but it really detriments and hurts the teams that he's playing for. So, and I'm not saying that's going to be an excuse. I mean, you have to go win those games regardless, but I was never betting on LeBron James anyway. Well, never not betting against, excuse me. I was never betting against LeBron James anyway. I still think the Lakers pull it out, but the Suns, this is great for them as a young core, as a, you know, really putting your young superstars out there for the first time. What better way to really put things on notice is to steal a couple games from the Lakers and really cause some noise. But, uh, it's LeBron James, man. Let's we know what's going to happen, and they still get this series, and probably the next game. And AD, if you want to be considered yeah. a top five player, you can't. Yeah. Just I got smoke for him. I, dis- look, disappearing one game sample size. <laughs> one game games. sample size. But we've seen this before. I'm gonna give him another game before I go off. But uh, if we talk on this pod again, and AD did that ghost of AD stuff, then he's got hell coming. Let's be real. Yeah, there will be real smoke coming for you, AD. Um, moving on to the three six matchup. In the West, one-one, great series and uh, fun game uh, last night. Nuggets, Blazers. What are your thoughts so far? This series is. I'm so happy that we're getting a series like this, where the guys who are dominating are supposed to dominate, but you're also seeing not just high-level domination from your All NBA guys, but guys who are kind of just making their own name out there and doing what they have to do. And I really, really just appreciate it from a series like this because it's going to be uber competitive. Denver should win this series, but Dame Lillard's right there, and he has the ability to drop eight threes and a half. He has the ability to do whatever he wants. He has the ability to change the entire game. Now, one of the big things that Portland has been doing or been trying to do is just limit Jokic and his playmaking potential because he's going to be able to score. There's nobody necessarily that's going to be able to stop his game and his touch around the rim, but when you take out one-third of his game relatively, because they've been holding up to the low assist numbers kind of all year and really now, I would say, or they're trying to, when you take out an element in his game, it makes the game a little bit, you know, more level. It's a more level playing field. And I think you're seeing that right now with this 1-1 series. For game three, when it comes up, I do think that Denver probably will take it. You know, probably keep splitting until you get to that inevitable game seven. But this series is everything it's going to be, or everything it was supposed to be, I should say. Uber competitive. I think that I will go with Denver in seven. But it's Dame, and it's Dame time. And that alone just is like, wow, it's great TV. That's a great thing to watch. And it always gives you a chance. But this series is what it's supposed to be. Highly competitive with the chance to be a classic. I totally agree. I think this is going seven where both teams, they didn't run away with the games, I, I would say. Like it wasn't blowouts like that Bucks heat, but they convincingly won each game 1-1. And I think that means each team can win any given night. You had 42 from Dane, 38 from Jokic. You can't ask for anything more from the superstars playing up to um, where they're supposed to. And then finally, Micah, oh, my favorite game of the weekend, the Mavericks and the Clippers. We torched the Ma- uh, the Clippers on the last pod saying, the basketball gods will not smile on you for trying to avoid being in the Lakers bracket. And they didn't. Luka came in, didn't have a great fourth quarter, but started off so hot in the first, and they beat the Los Angeles Clippers at home. It's amazing, Micah. It's just amazing. I love seeing this, and like the Jazz, we mentioned, we got smoke for you, Clippers, because... You can't keep doing this to yourselves every single year. You mentioned the basketball guys. I think it's been going on longer with them. And with, <laughs> I love I love how it's happening to them, too, because it's, it's Luka, and you want to see him just be the best he can be. Oh, I just love it so much. You mentioned that he didn't necessarily end the game as well as he started, but I'm not. it's hard betting against Luka at this point, especially against a team that he already showed he can torch, and he's going to keep torturing them. He thrives in these moments. And like, he's... 
happy to play the. And Clippers. that's the best part about it is that if you wasn't necessarily a believer in Luca having that edge, because I-, I could see guys holding that against him in the narrative kind of way. Oh, he doesn't have the edge as other guys. Blah blah blah. Whatever the discourse might be. Seeing him absolutely attack, literally shoving guys like Pat Bev saying, you're too effing small, get off me. Seeing him dominate and have the edge and being the most aggressive guy out there on the court, that's that's superstar, best player, MVP type of stuff. And this is the what he needs to do to elevate. Because it's hard to elevate when you're already a top five player pretty much. But when you can have this edge and you can be truly elite against guys who've won championships, one defensive players, and you've basically just been some of the best and most elite guys out there and are all really on one team, you can continually keep doing this. I love it for him, and I love it for the league, and uh, I love it for this series because Dallas is winning this series. Yeah, I think so. I think Dallas is clearly winning this series. It doesn't – It nothing changes for me because Luka, like I said, didn't play great in the fourth. Porzingis had a terrible game. Like, Porzingis gave you nothing in this game. And you still were able to win game one with the Clippers having almost all the momentum in it being a game one at home. This is a must win for the Clippers. Like I said, for the Lakers, I don't think it's a must win. But if the Clippers go down to 0-2, they don't have the heart to come back from that. They don't have the players that have that mentality that they want to come back. And if you see yourself in a situation where you lose in the second round, then you get embarrassed in the first round. I don't know if it's 100% locked that Kawhi is coming back. But... We shall see what happens with the rest of these uh, series. Just a great first weekend of basketball. I forget every year how good playoff basketball is, and especially this year with fans being back. Just another level of appreciation of just what playoff basketball is able to bring um, with the NBA. So just a lot of interesting games, a lot of interesting things that we storylines that we have to keep track of as we go throughout um, these next couple of weeks. But when we return, we're going to switch over real quick. We have a couple of Washington football topics that we want to talk about. Welcome back. So Micah, OTA started for the Washington football team. They had 87 players report. Uh, Chase Young and Montez Sweat were the only two notable players. Charles Leno also did not report the new left tackle, but he had a child. Those are the notable players that were not in attendance. Um, Steven Sims was also not there. But besides that, everybody else was there. You got to see a lot of videos. A lot of beat reporters were reporting on what um, they saw in day one of OTA. So from all the tweets that you saw, all the videos that you saw, is there anything specifically that stood out to you about that day one of OTAs? I think one of the biggest things that always catches my, you know, catches my eye and kind of all attentive football fans, really, NFL fans, to be precise, is who's starting where on that first 11 on 11 walkthrough Joe kind of thing? Because it's really everybody's first day in the building for the most part. And this is how coaches have an idea of who is going to play where. Right now, this is where it starts. And who's your first 11 out there on offense and defense is a really important thing because it sets a tone. This is how position battles are started. This is how things are really decided on from now through, the pre- through camp, through the preseason, to the regular season. So, yeah, one of the biggest tweets I saw was that Jamin Davis is playing at middle linebacker. Cole Holcomb was at will. And John Bostic was, it says Mike in the tweet, it was probably more as like a Sam. But it honestly kind of surprised me when I first saw it because ideally in my brain, I would have honestly just kept Cole at middle just because he's already used to the role. I would have played Jamie Davis naturally 
at the will just because of his coverage ability. And this is just me talking. And I still probably would have had John Bostic. Well, first of all, I probably wouldn't have had John Bostic. But if John Bostic was out there, I probably would have put him at your strong side, at your Sam. Not necessarily because of his skill set, but kind of protecting everybody else's skill set. Because the last thing you want to do is put John Bostic at your true middle or your will when he's going to have to cover guys. I want him kind of run-fitting strong sides. I, I want his eyes actually on the line. I don't want his eyes anywhere else because he's shown that he doesn't necessarily have that skill set. But I think it is interesting that it already seems like they're molding Javon Davis to be Luke Keekley. And this is something that Ron has really stressed, that linebacker play has to step up. And one of the things that, first of all, he's known for as a player was linebacker play. But one of the things that he's been great at coaching at has been linebackers. Just look at the Panthers of the last decade. Guys like Thomas Davis, Luke Keekley, whoever else they had at linebacker. They were all relatively top 15, the top 10 guys who high energy, made a lot of tackles, but also had a well-rounded skill set in their prime that basically allowed them to do anything on the field. And I do think that they're more than Jamin Davis to be Luke Keekley, and I think that he has the proper skill set to do it. Now, one of the only things that I'm kind of concerned about is you don't want to play the other guys out of position. So Cole Holcomb. Yes, he can do a little bit of everything, but he doesn't cover well. Saying a little bit of everything is like being the master of nothing kind of thing, where he's he's good enough at doing a little bit of everything on the field. He's a good football player, but he doesn't excel at one thing. And I do think that at your will that you want a guy that probably excels a little bit more at cover and you know having hips and being fluid. And that's why I say I would rather have him at middle because I think even a true middle in this defense kind of protects that a little bit. Yes, you have to go sideline to sideline, but he has the ability to track and make tackles. But when you're going to have to go guard really those flex tight ends or whatever the case may be, if they motion out and you're not necessarily in a nickel or a dime and it's you you have to go cover it, Cole Holcomb loses that 70% of the time. And that was that's what concerns me. But I do think that possible moves still could be made. we all been talking about. How the next couple months you can get, make trades, get guys for a little bit less money. I still do think there's possible moves being made, and that's the danger of looking too far in to day one, you know, just 11 on 11, hats on hats kind of thing. But this linebacker room is going to be kind of the make or break thing for this defense. And I do think that we have to take really, really, you know, good looks and really analyze them really well because bad linebacker play is going to put you in bad situations last year when you think about the run game and whatnot. But I do like that they're allowing Jamie Davis to play. No, no, no. I do like their, that you know they're allowing Jamie Davis to kind of just be free range out there because I think that's going to maximize his skill set and development the most. But uh, just keep an eye out for it, man. For me, I had three quick observations on what happened in day one. Number one, it's a combined one where it's Diami Brown and Troy Apke. So they said they had Troy Apke out there at cornerback, and Diami Brown was able to cook him and... Uh, get a great contested catch. One that shows that Diami Brown, as I ex- explained earlier in another pod, he's tracking very similar to the way Terry tracked in his um third being a third round pick, where he went into OTAs, he was able to perform uh, at a high level. You were like, oh, this kid can be decent, can be a good receiver. And as the OTAs and training camps went along, you were like, oh, he's going to be. Uh, actual uh, contributor for this team. And I think Brown is going to be a serious contributor for this team in year one. Troy Apke, number two, playing corner means that they've lost all confidence in him playing safety. Troy Apke is not a corner. He's going to get burnt. 
So in essence, they're saying, well, we'll give you one more shot here at corner. If that doesn't work out, then you're done here. So I think it's safe to say that Troy Apke will be cut from this Washington football team because there's no way that he's actually going to make the team as <laughs> as a corner. <laughs> Another thing with the way that this offense is um the way that this offense is looking, I am very intrigued to see what Scott Turner does with a lot of these weapons. Now with Brown, with Samuel, with McLaurin, with Gibson, with McKissick, Ron Rivera said in his press conference that he's very excited that this team is very fast. William Jackson also who had um, after practice presser said that, man, these guys are fast. I'm interested to see how Scott Turner in his second year as an offensive coordinator is going to grow in this role of bringing everybody's best abilities out of them. They said, uh, I was, I think I was reading or listening to another pod, the Washington football pod, where they said Curtis Samuel was doing a lot of jet motion and a lot of things that Steven Sims was doing last year, but everything just felt a lot faster and quicker. And if you get that from the Washington football team being one of the fastest offense with Ryan Fitzpatrick, you give yourself a real opportunity because the defense, as bad as, uh, not as bad, as good as they were last year, they can't win you every single game. So if you do get some competent offense, it leads to, it's going to lead to a lot more opportunities for your defense to get rest. They're not going out after three and outs that they're more hyped to go out because <laughs> their offense is scoring touchdowns for them. So I, thought that day one is always interesting, like you said, to see those lineups. I'm not looking much into O-line because, like you said, Leno wasn't there. Um, Leno wasn't there. They had Charles at left tackle and Schweitzer at left guard. I think Flowers ends up starting, and I think, um, obviously, Leno's going to play left tackle. So they're probably going to bump Charles in. But there's just a lot of interesting things to see. And also, on a slightly un unrelated note, it's just nice to see all these players reporting. Chase Young and Montez Sweat, I don't worry about because I know that they are um, gym warriors themselves, and they have their own plan. And we saw how Chase Young came in in his rookie season in shape. So I'm not worried about those players at all. But it is interesting to see how this day one of OTAs is always going to be a couple of things that people are looking for. And you met we you mentioned the big one. It was Jamin Davis at uh, middle linebacker. I when I saw the tweet, I sent it to you. I was like, wait, what? Middle linebacker? Hey. If he's really thinking about turning him into his next uh, Luke Keekley, then so be it. And then on the defensive end, Bobby McCain was second team while DeShazer Everett was um, the starting free safety. Now, L Landon Collins was there, but he wasn't able, still recovering from the Achilles, to play strong. So it was obviously Cam Curl. But I was kind of confused by that. I thought Bobby actually would have a chance to start, but it looks like the Washington football team really liked what they got from the Shazer in the couple of games that he started at free safety after they uh, benched Troy. So I'm interested to see what that competition looks like and who ends up starting week one for um, the Washington football team. But a lot of interesting little tidbits throughout the team that you're always going to be paying attention to as we get through OTAs, um, uh, mini camp, training camp, and all those good things. But before we leave, Micah, just one more quick topic, uh, just quick one minute on it. Julio Jones, obviously, it came up that he wants to trade out of Atlanta. Do you think Washington, the trade right now that they have for Washington is sending a second and fourth round pick? Do you think Washington is sending a second and fourth for Julio Jones? Now, I'm maybe earlier in the process, they would have absolutely jumped on it. But I think now, and of course, let's not be, let's not be funny about this. This is Julio Jones we're talking about, a future Hall of Famer guy. But honestly... I don't think they would do that, and I don't think, don't think they should at this point. 
And like I said, maybe earlier in the process where we didn't necessarily have any other receiver room lined up, and we didn't have anything else really going for us as far as big names, this would have been an absolute steal. But now, I don't really see it because I can see how this team could value having guys with Terry and Curtis Samuel's skill set. I can kind of see the position flex they've been going for. With a guy like Julio, yes, let's, like, once again, a Hall of Fame guy, but at this point in his career, I don't necessarily think he's going to be able to work the slot in the way that Scott Turner is going to want to be able to do it and run the jet motions. He's going to want to command 150 target plus throughout a season. And while the room is the room is the room is crowded, the room like, is packed, bro. The, the room is absolutely packed. I, I know it's Julio, but it's still like a crowded room. If you invested a third round pick, and yes, you can't compare Julio to a third round pick, but this is not something that is taking you over the top with getting Julio Jones in that wide receiver room. So if it's not, if any move now, if it's not a cheap move where you're signing them using their remaining cap space, if it's not taking you over the top like Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers, there's just no need to make that move, at least in my opinion. And no, you're absolutely right. And you brought up the great point that sometimes, and I mentioned it in the last pod, sometimes the room actually does get a little packed. I saw a Kelvin Harmon clip today and I'm like, oh crap, is he even going to make the 53? Because we drafted two receivers that are great players. We signed two other free agent receivers. Cam Sims is still on the roster. Steven Sims technically is still on the roster. I mean, we know how that's going to go, but where's Kelvin Harmon going to play? This is a guy who was starting across Terry in 2019 at times. And now he might not even get to make the 53, which is crazy, but that's how you build proper depth and getting guys that actually fit the scheme. And you mentioned it, man. At this point, for that price and for what you're going to be giving up asset-wise, there's no reason. Julio, he's going to be able to contribute somewhere else. But I think in D.C. right now, we have an actual good receiver room. So I wouldn't jump on it. There's really no reason. Once again, unless unless they're you know making that big change, there's no reason to do it. There's no need. Yeah, he takes the Rams, the Falcons. Um the Cardinals, those type of teams over the top because it's just another piece that solidifies them. But the Washington football team, I mean, we'll get to our season predictions in a little bit, but I think we're a 10 and 7 team. Adding Julio doesn't take us to a 12 and 5 team or a 13 and 4 team. So if that's not the case, then I don't want to see us waste a second and fourth that we can use for our future QB next year, Carson Strong, when we're trading up for him. So if that's not going to happen, then I don't really see the point of the conversation, but we did have to bring it up because it was a big conversation uh, around D.C. today. So that's going to do it for this pod. Micah and I will be back on Friday. We'll be hopefully have a victory pod after the Wizards were able to defeat the 76ers and it's 1-1. But that'll wrap it up for this pod. We'll see you guys again Friday evening for Mike and for Micah. We'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.